Welcome to this episode of the Indistinct Chatter Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Ruth, and today we are speaking with David Butcher, Director of British School of Jakarta. How are you, David? Kevin, lovely to catch up with you again. I'm really well, thanks. Good to be here. Great. Well, you know, I'm fascinated by this work that you've been doing with the school around compassionate systems um, out of out of MIT, and I'd love to just have an opportunity for you to share uh, with the audience what it is as an overview, and then let's jump into how you've made it really specific at BSJ. So, what what what's what is the compassionate systems framework? Um, the compassionate systems framework is really. Um, a dimension of learning that is founded upon the work of Peter Senge at MIT with uh, Professor Meta Boll. And the idea is that you have a number of systems that enhance your generative social field, which is essentially in a school, your community, and that through compassion, and the using of numerous tools that we've been uh, learning about and, and putting into practice over the years, that your your community really approaches the the core business of learning and teaching with a dimension that is one of understanding each other, primarily understanding yourself, and by that you have the capacity to increase the learning opportunities that are in the school. So we've, we took the con conscious decision when we started it, that this wasn't going to be a top down exercise. We wanted it to run parallel across the school. So from the, from the get go, we said that we would have both staff and students training simultaneously because systems thinking, compassionate systems thinking, really does transcend age, uh, ability, gender. And the idea was that the more reinforcing loops that we could put into the school in terms of creating that idea that we can look at the world differently, that we can approach learning differently, would impact the community from a, a positive perspective. There you go. That's that's in a nutshell. Yeah, great great overview. And and much of what you were mentioning there really resonates as I think about, you know, something we often talk about in, in K to twelve education, uh, which is cultural competence. I mean, that seems as if it's naturally embedded in this work. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. The the whole idea is that each school has its ecosystem and mm -hmm. it has a mission and vision, and it's how we show up. And the idea about compassionate systems learning is really to put some, some checks and balances into, okay, we're all individuals, no matter if you're three or 18 or 21 or 60, uh, we want to work with each other in, a, in an environment where it's based upon honesty and respect, and that we know how to deal with that human capital um, and how we show up. And so if you take it, you know, I'll give you one example, which is the, uh, a check-in. We've introduced check-ins at the start of lessons, at the start of, of, of different meetings. The idea is that nobody really knows each other and how they are when they come into a meeting. You know, you don't know what's gone on beforehand, what's going on personally. 
And the, the purpose of a check-in really is to bring people together in that sort of circular motion of a meeting to say, what's moving in you? How are you doing? And to, to bring about whatever's been going on in the past, okay, I can just focus on what's, what's present now. And so that you get this, it's more impactful, it's more positive, and that's the, the way we want to go about it. So I think that the, the whole idea of the culture of the school um, is massively important in actually creating, particularly what we've said at, at BSJ is that um, we did this before the pandemic, which I was very grateful for. Mm. But, we, but there is blue sky coming out of the pandemic and we are really in a position to create a school for today and tomorrow and having already commenced this we feel that we're in a good place to, to, to springboard out great so you know i was reading up a bit on peter senge and his his work uh at mit and what really attracts me personally to it is is the notion of systems so systems awareness systems change uh you just mentioned check-ins a moment ago so how how does the notion of the check-in in the morning or or whenever prior to any lesson for example throughout the day how does that contribute to systems awareness the check-in is is one where the awareness is such that you're giving everybody that space. And one of the things that we keep repeating um, is systems shape behavior. And with that, it is practice, practice, practice. And not, not everybody likes it. And not everybody, um, everybody will come with a different mental model about what we're doing. And that's been, I'm sure we'll talk about that later in terms of how we bring, how we onboard people to make them understand this. But the check-in is initially uncomfortable for some people because they don't want to talk. They don't want to express. And it really is that idea of, well, actually, how am I doing? And what am I going to bring to this particular meeting or lesson? And mm -hmm. by doing that, you really kind of, in many ways, just clear the air in terms of how we're going to be for the next 40 minutes and what we're going to do and what's the outcome of the meeting be, or, or that lesson in terms of, okay, I've come in, I've checked in with my peers, I've checked in with the person who's running the meeting, I'm now good to go. And that's, I mean, the check-in is, is one of multiple uh, tools that we use. But the idea is that you, the tools can be used in, in any real part of uh, a school and the day-to-day -day running of the school. So the uh the repetition of this means that we actually as a, as a generative social field we all know that that's the modus operandi that we want to do that's the way that we want to start things that's the way that we want to we actually want to work with each other so it goes back to that whole idea of the compassion if you take the, the word in its truest form it, it actually means suffering with and so if someone's coming to the room and they're not feeling that good then you can say okay well okay i hear you let, I can factor that into how I'm going to behave for you in this meeting or in this lesson, particularly with the kids. And I have to say, the, one of the beautiful things that has come out of this over since we started this in 2018 is that the kids are so much better at it than, than we are, and they get it. And they, <laughs> they just the the, the uh, student to teacher teaching has been one of the I think one of the most 
uh, or inspiring parts of the course. Mm -hmm. it, it, I think the um, uh, what does what does Senge call this? The what you were just speaking about, I think is I think the term he uses is something like systems sensing. So that when you 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 have this awareness that comes from you know empathy and compassion you're able to sense that and you can sort of adjust and anticipate what things will be like or at least respond in a way that you understand how things are how things are flowing and uh, something else i came across in in preparation for, for this conversation reading about about the word empathy in addition to what you said about um you know compassion and sort of the latinate sense of that there's also this german notion of einfühlung which is mm. The ability, sort of, quote unquote, to to feel into the other the other person, and it, it seems to me, I'd love to hear your experience on this, but it seems to me that is going to benefit not just students but also teachers. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think when you when you talk about the sensing and the the systems tools, certainly the the kind of ladder of inference and ladder of connectedness immediately shout out to me in the terms of that whenever you're in a situation you can uh, you may be tested or provoked or your understanding of the situation may not be or may be blurred because of your own personal uh, emotions going on at that moment and the the ladder of inference allows you you can go up and down it at any given point and you can understand, you start to understand your emotions. And if you do that, it gives you that, I, that idea, well, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to, for me to come down the ladder, to, to come down the ladder, to have a greater awareness of what's going on and understand that whilst I'm going up the ladder of inference and I'm feeling the wrong emotions and I can then reverse it myself and bring a lot more compassion to the, to the, um, to the situation. And certainly when you start to hear of students and staff saying, yeah, I've, um, that person went up the ladder a bit or I use the ladder of inference to dis to diffuse a potentially um, difficult situation in a meeting or in a lesson or whatever. So the the whole notion of the that sensing and the the collaborative that comes with it in terms of well, if everybody understands the tool and they can use it um, at various at differentiated levels, but they get the idea of why we're using it, it, it then goes back to okay, we can actually work on other things. And then if you take the learning, um, and particularly we, where we've focused it on, which is our IB Middle Years program, you can bring it into the tasks and the inquiry of the lesson. And that is where we wanted to build that capacity that the, if, you, if you take many schools and you take wellbeing, it's very much a satellite of a school. It's, um, it may be one or two um, lessons a week, one, one hour a week or whatever, and it loses credibility uh, regressively. So what we said was, okay, let's put it in as a, uh, have, it has the same time as a lesson. So we have 30 minutes a day, a uh, wellbeing period between 9.40 and 10.10 every day. 
and we'll use the tools and we'll bring the tools in. And what we're also going to do is we're going to take the framework that we've done for the compassionate systems, um, the wellbeing lesson in using compassionate systems, and we're actually going to mirror that into our wellbeing uh, IB MYP program as well. So the, the students and the staff are constantly using the tools, both in the lessons, in the learning, and in their wellbeing time as well, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, uh, at least in terms of of IB, but frankly, it could be any particular curriculum because I'm, I suppose I'm especially interested in how does, how does, how does this tie into, uh, any, any curriculum that a school might be running, whether it's entirely independent, whether it's, whether it's international baccalaureate, whether it's, whether it's something else, but the, um, a couple of points there that, that you were talking about reminded me of, again, doing background reading on Senge and, and all his work here that, that fundamentally these um the pieces that allow us to get to know that that allow us to heighten our awareness a of ourselves and b of the others in our company in the in the classrooms feeds into this notion of an intersection of complexity and systems because senge is saying that look learning is actually quite complex <laughs> and and we need to appreciate and embrace the complexity and realize that we need systems level thinking to help us um, to help us integrate with and better understand that complexity and to use it to our advantage. So could you help help listeners to just understand a little bit there more around complexity and systems? And then I'd love to start shifting into applicability to curricula. Well, <laughs> the complexity of learning, if, if, we, if I start with what we said about the um, the various learning uh, curricula that we have around the world. Yes, this this can apply to anywhere mm -hmm. because the the whole notion is how do we learn and what are we learning and how do we go about it. So, systems thinking has has been used in um, in corporates and business for a, a number of years, and the, the complexities of those institutions are unbounded in many ways and so if you take that and you you bring it across to education and the complexity of learning the the whole idea is that if you as a as an individual whether you're a, a teacher or a student if you have that capacity to understand how you feel about how you are as a professional or how you are as a student and how you want to turn up that's in itself already complex because there's so many emotions and so many forces that go on in a day-to-day -day, uh, in a school, as, as we both know. By bringing in a, a system to the, the complexity of learning, in many ways, I think, actually unravels it a little bit and makes it easier because if you use a systems tool, the best one I can give you an example of is the iceberg. And the mm -hmm. iceberg really is one that the, the students and the staff have really gotten to a point where they can use it with a plum. And by that, that they can use it in a lesson that the students can, can iceberg a problem. So they can look at the event and then they can drill down beneath it and they can look at the underlying structures, the mental models and the artifacts. And that, if you have a complex problem, if you dissect it with that type of tools, it does bring kind of clear blue 
thinking in many ways because you get the event, you then look at the underlying strategies. Well, what's behind the event? And then what is the mental model? So why am I thinking like that? Or why are people thinking like that? And what are the things that are, uh, what are the artifacts that are really putting themselves into the, into the, into the mix, into the event that are causing everything to work together? So from an analytical point of view, you can look at the, the event. Then one of the nice things about the iceberg is that you can look at it from an analytical point of view, and then you can flip it to an aspirational point of view and say, well, okay, this is what's going, this is why it's happening. How can I improve it? So you can take complex events, and we've, we've tried the iceberg, and we, you know, the skeptics and the, um, the in many ways, the, the bystanders have said, yeah, but it doesn't apply to my subject. So we've tested it in math, it works. Tested in English, it works. And so the idea is that you're actually enhancing the learning experience. So by using a model, by using a systems tool, the student and the member of staff will bring just that value added. And I think that's so important in whatever curricula that you're you're using as your as your tool. You can uh, you can enhance it by the use of, of, of a systems by, by by the use of systems thinking. Great. So it's it's sort of a combination of architecture, some lexicon, practice, all these elements. What would you say to the to the people who would immediately challenge you and just say, look, look, frankly, we have no time for this. Right? We've got to cover content, we've got to prepare kids for exams. Um, it's touchy feely. Um, there's no proof that it really works. Mind you, I'm really taking the devil's advocate position here. Um, how do you how do you engage with that kind of an uh, I hesitate to call it an argument, but with that kind of position vis a vis this kind of work? Because um, I think I suppose the reason I'm asking it is because it, it brings us to what I think is a fundamental intersection. In, in the world of primary and secondary education, which is the notion of content versus something greater. And I don't have to define something greater. This would be an example of that something that is greater. Um, why do you, as, as the leader, the leader of a school ecosystem, why do you feel that this is so important that you want the school to engage in it when you could just easily be saying, right, we're going to focus on exam preparation and make sure the kids do well on, you know, name your assessment, whatever it is. That, that's a really good question, Kevin. And I, I think that you, <laughs> you may have been listening to some conversations that we've been having at BSJ over the years as to the, the why behind it. I think the best way I can frame it is that as a school leader and a parent, myself the one thing that has been nagging me um and i've been very vocal about this is what's the world going to look like in 2030 or 2035 take those those two years and then you look at uh as a school leader you look at the school and you look at the eight-year-olds you look at the 14-year-olds and you think okay is our current model one that is established one that is successful one that has academic prowess and we can tick all the boxes at bsj for that and yet again we've had fantastic results this year but what are the skills that are going to be needed and 
if are we actually providing the skills for 2030 because the world is going to be vastly different and you know we we've been short-circuited with um a, a global disruption that's probably hit education harder than anything it has done since the second world war and therefore the the system is has been uh, shuddered in many ways as to the complexity of assessment and the uh, the whole rigmarole about the learning environment, the going virtual, going online, and a huge shout out to to my to the staff at BSJ because they've done a brilliant job in in transitioning to that. And yet, we were also able to provide um, skills that I think that you get through systems thinking that are going to be fundamentally important for young people as they transition out of secondary education into tertiary or into their first job, from tertiary into their first employment, and then the skills that are going to be needed uh, later in life. So when, and I've had these conversations about with, with staff who've, who've said, I haven't got time to do this. And, I, and my reply is, I hear you. I, I get it. I understand the the rigors of a of a curriculum, and I understand the the purpose of why you want to maintain your your teaching style. I'm not trying to burden you with this. I'm. I think it's really important that by doing this, by bringing in compassionate systems thinking and, and the framework. It's actually going to bring value added to you. So immediately, you're hitting a mental model. And one of the things that we, I, I think, is pretty universal in education sometimes is that this whole spectre of time. And this is where I'm very fortunate to be uh, a BSJ at the school because we're able to to manipulate time a little bit. So we were able to re again i go back to system stru structure behavior we've been able to restructure the day so we can put 30 minutes a day in for for well-being why because we felt it was absolutely essential to the the benefit of the students we've also realized that we need to support the staff and so what we've done for next year is we've looked at time again and we've said okay every tuesday we will create a two-hour pocket um of CPD of, of career professional development for all our staff and that gives us again this this feedback loop and this reinforcing loop that every week we can do something meaningful with our staff not at the end of the day not whenever he's tired but in just a, 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 a say two o'clock and it'll be structured it goes back to the structure it goes back to the the purpose behind the whole learning so all of these modifications we've done through the time of the school hasn't impacted the delivery in the classroom if that makes sense yeah no that's great and 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 i think that's a good segue to something i i mentioned a little while ago so you're you mentioned quite specifically ib middle years program um so whether it's ib whether it's something else um what is the malleability factor if you will of Compassionate Systems Framework vis-a-vis -vis any curriculum? What's, what's your experience been? Uh, really good question. When we, when we started it, I mean, 
we um, the immediate notion was that we we had key stage three at the school and um, it, there was a decision made in 2017 uh, 18 which I was I've been appointed and I was part of to review that to see its its worthiness and the the outcome of that was that we were going to do, introduce the MYP short course for three years the in my head as the principal of the school and having already experienced compassionate system thinking was that I felt that compassionate systems would sit with any curriculum because we have GCSE and we have the IB diploma and the careers related program. And we also have the IPC in primary. The conceptually where systems thinking really sits well with the learning process is inquiry. And every type of curriculum does have an element of inquiry. So that the investigative notion of, of learning and, and trying to um, gain knowledge, if you bring in systems tools to support the inquiry, you're going to get a greater depth of inquiry and a greater understanding of it. And that, again, can only support, one would hope, the, the learning experience for, for the student and for the, for the staff gives them just another another range in their toolkit. They, you know, staff are very experienced in teaching their subjects and by no means were we trying to say you're not a good subject teacher. What we were trying to say is that this is not the be all or end all of your teaching. It is something to put in your toolkit and is a value added that will support the actual learning process. So, and what we've seen is particularly at the school, is that we've created, I think, about 70 or 80 um, student ambassadors of compassionate systems thinking. And they do a lot of peer-to-peer work. And I've actually witnessed, and I've sat in the sessions where students are teaching the systems tools to the primary students. And the the pickup and the understanding is phenomenal. So it's not a question of um, really what curriculum is involved, it's a question of delivery, it's a question of experience, and it's a question of inquiry. And those things happen on a daily basis in any school as we know. So it, it seems as if this would go, you know, sort of hand in glove with inquiry-based programs. Yeah. Um, what, what about, you know, there are schools where direction, direct instruction is sort of the prevalent uh, instructional method, um, instructional delivery. Do, do you think it would work well in that circumstance? I think so. I think that, you know, the, the, that sort of, that model obviously is, um, is one that is still, uh, uh, still apparent in, in, many, in many schools. It's, um, it's how the, the, the facilitator would use the tool to provide that information. If there's, there's no harm in, in saying, you know, there's times in any curriculum or in any scheme of work where a teacher will, will have to plan and prepare and say, I really need the kids to understand this, this concept or this, this, this particular part of the course. Now, if that means that I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, standing and I'm going to be explaining this, well, who's to say that you can't use a tool to explain it? Who's to say that instead of just in passing the knowledge in one style, you can use a different style, uh, but still with the same um, kind of environment within the classroom, if that makes sense. So 
yes, and those people are quite often the ones who who will say, I've got a, um, I, I, I really don't think this fits with me. And that is just um, nurturing in many ways. And when we do that, and when they start to uh, understand the benefit of it, is when you start to get a deep-seated success in it. And you, you've got to understand, Kevin, this isn't for everybody. And you have to be pragmatic that not every teacher will buy into it, not every teacher will use it. And you, that's fine. But what you do get is that those who do, who do use the tools, and I've seen this in other schools, and I've, I've, I've listened to the network that, we, that, that we're creating through the Centre for Systems Awareness, is that more and more like-minded people are understanding the need for this, and in particularly in the wider circle of, say, um, conflict resolution or restorative practice within a school as well, which is you know something that we all have to deal with. You can use the tools inside and outside of the classroom for various means of dealing with the day-to-day situations. No, that's uh, well, that's that's fantastic because you're you're right. I mean, there's uh, any you know number of approaches to instruction. Uh, around the world, and so it's it's good to know that this could potentially work. And I also really appreciate your your honesty in saying, look, it's just it's not necessarily for for everyone. Um, you know, I'll I'll ask the dreaded metrics question because I'm <laughs> I'm sure that's on uh, everyone's mind. But before I ask that question, so now that you know that it's coming, um, it it sounds as if from the school leader perspective, uh, there's a fair amount of really good pastoral work to be done. And working with the staff on this is that fair to say? Yeah, very much so. Because if you um, the lessons learned is that you've really the investment and the the mantra that we've adopted at BSJ is that when you when we interview someone, we explain where the school's going in terms of the uh, uh, the mission and vision and, and and the way that we're approaching our educational system. And then at the same time, anybody who's part of our, our school is going to enter it uh, with their experience and whatever. And we want them to leave with more experience and um, a kind of a, 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 a better portfolio. And their, their toolkit and their experience is one that has really upskilled them in, in, in many ways. And, and that is, um, I think, incumbent on any school to do at the moment because the the systems of schools are are being pushed like the like there's no tomorrow and the education system i think personally should is in need of desperate change so the investment in staff and staff well-being is something that we're we're really looking at so in terms of um training them we uh we've just signed a, a, a great partnership with Dr. Sue Langley from Australia in terms of um, positive psychology and well-being. And we've got a core group that will extend out throughout the next academic year to really understand the the whole psychology, the, the positive psychology and the well-being and the neuroscience behind everything. Because there is enough data that's been pushed out around the world uh, on a regular basis now to say that we understand the brain a lot better and we understand well-being a lot better so it's important that we give this 
kind of support network for our staff so that they can really understand the big why behind it. And that's been well received. And, and so we're not just putting everything into compassion systems thinking. We've got the tools from there, but we know that by um, we've, we've adopted the phrase sort of uh, deconstruct or reconstruct because we know that we've got to be different. We know that the world is, is, is changing. So the, the way that we were trained, uh, I was trained in, in the early 90s, you know, we weren't trained in this. And so it's really important that we, we give that uh, support network. We're looking at various spaces in the school environments for the staff where they can feel that they can focus on their well-being as well. And that's, I think, you know, kind of walking the talk on this in, in many ways. Um, and leadership and the Board of Governors and the community. So it's, it's again, just creating that generative social field that everybody understands what we're doing with that. And the way that we had to do that was we had to bring in a new mission and vision. Sounds like no small task. You shared with me quite recently that uh, from this perspective of, sort of mission and vision coming together with the, how should I say this, being exemplified in the well-being aspect of things, you've been able to um, hook up with a fairly well-known football club. And how does how does how does how does that work? How does that look? And what is the intended impact? And then I promise we're coming back to the metrics question. Okay, I'm, I'm not I'm not deferring from the metrics question. I'm ready for that. Um, so the mission and vision we have um, we looked at the one that we had at the school, and it was nice. But it wasn't really reflecting how we were moving the academic model and the well-being program at the school. And so what we've done is we, we've adopted a new um, a new kind of strap line, as it were, which is uh, we shape the school and the school shapes us. Uh, the idea being that anything that we do in terms of um, new uh, new innovations, in terms of, say, bringing the well-being, bringing compassionate systems, we have an entrepreneurial uh, program as well, is that as we bring that in and it shapes the school, then it will immediately shape us back because it will have that impact of reciprocity. And we felt that that was important to just give that collectivism that the school needed in, in terms of what we were going. Inside of that, we've created our own uh, mandala, which is um, this sort of circle of well-being, which is head, heart, self-system. So that there's an interdependence and a connectivity between your head, your heart, yourself and your system, which could be your own system, could be the system of the school. And the, the, the support and, the, and the, uh, the connection that you have with those and how they work in unison and then work in, in terms of shaping the school. Um, what we've done is we've, we've partnered with Manchester City Football Club and uh, that's a long-term partnership. On, on, it's massively exciting. Uh, we're, we're blessed with a campus that has six football pitches. So we we were... Um, in a, that, in a, that's almost one for each day of the week. One, one for each day of the week. Yeah, it's 44 acres, so it's nice. And what we felt was that and what the, in the partnership was that basically it's actually um, a US model, which was in the 90s, which was a great idea. Sometimes it was quite flawed in its actual implementation, is to create this school within a school. And so 
we'll be hiring a, a coach from Manchester City who will be part of our faculty. And then the whole soccer football program will be through the Manchester City playbook. And by that, it means from any student in the phys ed lessons will be having the Manchester City way of playing, uh, playing soccer, which is gender, um, gender equitable, it's age appropriate, it goes from three right up until the Premier League team in terms of what they've created. So that's very exciting. The second level is that we, all our extracurricular program will be um, through the, the Man City way. And so our students will get to, to participate and to be trained and to coach, to be coached in that way. And then they have the opportunity to play various tournaments around the world. They're, they've got the, the um, exciting chance of actually going back to the Etihad and, and training there and watching a Premier League football game. So for, for students, it's, it's massively uh, exciting in that regard. And then the thirdly is what we've defined as educational social responsibility is that we will create our own football school that will open up to the um, the public in, in Jakarta and Tangerang Selatan where we are. So that Indonesians who are absolutely football mad, soccer mad, can come and experience it as well. So we feel that that was, if you go back to shaping the school, it really shows and demonstrates that we, we shape it by bringing in Man City, a global, um, a global soccer brand. It's not just Manchester City. They've got ten clubs around the world, so it's a city group. So we we're part of that family now. And then at the same time, it shapes us back in that the students will get the experience of football. But then it goes beyond that. It goes with all the training. It goes with all the fitness. It goes with all the the opportunities. So that's where we sat with the exemplar of working with probably one of the most. Um, forward-thinking uh, football clubs in the world at the moment. Fabulous. So, uh, as promised, I am going to revert to the metrics question. So, as you as you move forward with implementing this, how how did you determine and with whom uh, what would be uh, markers of success as you began to train on this program, implement it? And by markers of success, I do mean it at least in two ways, which would be on the student side as well as on the teaching staff side. Okay. Which one do you want first? Uh, as, as you will, whatever you'd like. Let's do students first. And firstly, one of the things that you, you have to be mindful of is that when you're dealing with wellbeing, when you're dealing with compassionate systems, if you overarch it with too many metrics, then you may dilute it in terms of impactfulness. And what we did, and uh, I'm very grateful uh, to a lady by the name of Jane Drake, who uh, worked at the IB and is now actually working with the Centre for Systems Awareness, in that obviously the questions you get is, okay, how do you measure it? And what's the measurability and what's the scalability of that? And so what we've done, and, and this again is, is very organic, we are continuing to to look at it in terms of the the uh, success um, on a day to day basis. We we've created this um, assessment model of ACT, which is the throughout the well being lessons we have various uh, topics that they have to discover and various means of um, using the systems tools and other um, we use via the character strengths. We work with the Institute of um, positive education at Geelong Grammar in Melbourne as well to use their 
their brilliant work that they've done down there. And the whole idea is that the student creates their own portfolio. And in that portfolio, we have three, three levels where they add knowledge, um, they then connect the knowledge. And then the last one is something called what we define as discernment in action, which is transferring the knowledge so that they can take whatever they've added and whatever they've connected, and then they can attribute it to another real life situation. And by using the systems tools and by using the various uh, experiential learning and inquiry that they've done throughout that particular model, whether it be about like Black Lives Matter or Know Myself or whatever topic it is, it then gives them that reflective process, which is maybe through journaling, through videoing, so we can see how they progress and see, they can see how they progress as well. So that's that, that's something that we've worked in in terms of the wellbeing program. In terms of the the academic model, that's pretty much work in progress. And also, a lot we're, we're aligning ACT to the criterion in uh, the IBM YP at the moment, which is quite exciting in terms of we, we feel that there's real um, a support mechanism that we can do there in terms of what we, what we do with the uh, assessments in the MYP. We're looking at various ways of doing it in the primary school as well. For the staff, um, what we've done is we've looked at the inner model of the, the mission and vision and we've looked at the the KBIs, the key behavioural indicators, and the usage of the tools, and also the KBIs are now attributed to head, heart, self system. So when they're actually looking at their performance management, they will look at it through how they've been working through their head, through their heart, through their self, and through their system, and also how they've been using the system's tools to improve their their capacity in their job. sounds quite comprehensive yeah we think so um yeah no it's it's that's really quite good so you started this remind me you said in 2018 i think is that right yeah yeah so you're going into what is this into the fourth year of implementation now uh three and a half yeah we we started it we we put the the kind of academic and uh business plan together in august 18 up until then and then we started it uh, Meta Boll, who's uh, Peter's counterpart, um, she came about four or five times in 2019, and then Peter came in December 19, um, and then we've continued with virtual in a virtual capacity um, throughout 2020 and 2021, and I've just gone through this the whole last academic year uh, along with another colleague doing, and so I'm now a certified. Um, master practitioner in systems thinking as well, which I'll be using very hands-on for the next academic year as we, every year we look to upskill and upgrade. So the capacity building, where it was only for MYP students uh, this year, we've now um, scaled it up for the whole of the secondary, so that's 700 students. And so, in fact, the head of secondary has realigned their... uh, their leadership structure to complement the head heart self system and the well-being uh, program in the school so there's different responsibilities now and that again it's shaping the system and the, the generative social field and so you did mention that 
that you've been doing this uh, throughout throughout the pandemic, so you've been doing this virtually, has that slowed you down at all? Has the pace been more or less the same? Were there um, pieces of the experience during the pandemic that were pleasantly unexpected? Yes. Um, I, I, there's an indelible date, which is March the 9th, 2020, where we'd convened a meeting between the school leadership, the Board of Governors and the Council of Trustees. And that's just a technical issue that we have in, in being a nonprofit in, in Indonesia. And the outcome of that meeting was that I was the leadership under my uh, kind of tutelage was allowed to look at the a new mission and vision. Uh, that was March the 9th. March the 11th, I was in the primary sports hall. And we were we had about 130 parents in all on iPads preparing for the imminent uh, transition to online learning. And that was a great moment, actually, because that, that really showed our community and, and the, the, the willingness that we knew that we had to adopt a new learning strategy. And then we went to online, and we were actually online for a whole year. So the decision had to be made, well, should we, you know, as, as sometimes we do in education, was it just a pause, or should we go ahead and do it? And we made the decision to, to go ahead and do it because we really felt that having already bedded in compassionate systems and well-being at school, uh, it would only help to support the students and the staff throughout the, the whole of 2020-2021. Um, was it complicated? Yes. The impact of doing uh, the learning of a new skill with a large number of students online tested us um, immensely in terms of the connectivity and the the uptake um, but one of the one of the elements that we've done is that we did a, a complete kind of feedback loop and review and we had a a, a checklist created uh, by someone else who's doing the master practitioner course who did who worked with the the whole idea of how's well-being for our students how's it been uh, how's it been implemented and we saw in the the data that we got back was that they really do under, they there's a, an inherent understanding of the importance of well-being and how it's impacted their lives in extreme circumstances and you have to understand that some of the students um, at BSJ really hadn't left their their houses for nine, 10 months. And so we really did feel that it was worthwhile because I go back to what I said earlier was that we know at some point the world is going to come out of this and it's going to be different. And we wanted to be in a, in a position where we could really, what we've established on an online, in an online environment, we were able then to bring back into face-to-face. -face. And we feel, and we've sensed it because we did have some face-to-face uh, -face learning between March and June this year is that we know that we will be able to, to skyrocket it in many ways. It'll, it'll go up exponentially when we're back into, into that sort of campus environment. Fabulous. Well, I've got, um, I really think just one more question uh, since we've, we've been at this for a little while now. And that is, as you know, if, if other schools might want to entertain this, or if even larger ecosystems might want to entertain this compassionate systems framework. And by larger ecosystem, I might, I might mean something like 
school groups, mm. uh, a foundation with multiple schools under it, uh, membership associations, other things. What what recommendations might you give coming from A, from experience, but also B, now as a certified practitioner? That's a really good question and a kind of great round off, Kevin. The, the whole master practitioner journey is with like-minded people who've come from various corners of the world and um, various educational um, agencies and schools. So the, the upshot of it is that uh, irrespective of the, the nature of the school, whether it's non-profit, profit, fee-paying, non-fee-paying state, what we've been able to do is we're able to forge um, really good connections with uh, people around the world. So uh, student ambassadors are working um, with students in Denmark uh, with a focus on climate change using the En-ROADS uh, climate simulator from MIT, and that's been really, really purposeful. We've, we're, as a school, we're establishing um, links with uh, Staten Island in New York and their uh, educational uh, leadership teams and schools that some of them are IB, some of them aren't, in terms of their their implementation of uh, compassionate systems in their uh, in their schools and um, how we can learn from each other. So you know, Tai Chin, who's who's the leader of that, is doing some amazing work uh, with his team uh, across in in Staten Island. And then you go to the West Coast and. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Troy Selvey who runs the After School Network uh, for California. And California is so vast and there's various pockets of, pockets of it. And certainly what I've learned throughout the year is that if you're in a school group, in, um, in various uh, educational agencies, the bringing in compassionate systems can certainly improve the implementation and the learning for those who do it that will then have an impact on the uh, the actual work that goes on. So Troy, Tiffany Gibson, Diego, all these guys in who are working and they've been granted, I think, quite a lot of funding um, from the Californian uh, governor to really push this forward. That is incredibly exciting. For us in Southeast Asia, we're creating a, a, a hub so there's schools in Singapore, Dali Singapore, there's schools, uh, Marymount in Hong Kong and um, an agency, an educational agency in, um, in Hong Kong. We're all starting to get together as well as us in Jakarta, really to, to bring that like-mindedness and to, um, to reinforce and to uh, share with um, our, local, our local needs. One of the things that we've done at the school is through our MIT um, Global Youth Ambassadors is that on the ground, we want to work with um, children who regrettably uh, do not have the, uh, the opportunities that our students do. So we're working with the Wada Foundation, United in Diversity, really to bring about um, meaningful change. And by that, it is peer-to-peer, student-to-student, and them to understand that systems thinking and the whole idea of, of learning can transcend whoever you are, wherever you are. Brilliant. Um, 
you wouldn't know this, at least I hope you haven't heard it in the background, and I'm assuming other listeners haven't heard it, but uh, in many ways, David, as I've been looking forward to this conversation, which is this evening, my time, in the, in the morning, your time, on the next day, um, we've had this massive thunderstorm move through, and I thought, I thought, how fitting. I feel as if I'm in Southeast Asia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm blessed this morning. It's, it's bright sunshine in Jakarta, so. <laughs> and, and 32 degrees, as it is most days. Yeah, well, it's it's still quite warm here in the evening, but I just thought, you know, fond memories of, of traveling through the region. So this was, it seemed especially apt <laughs> that there would be a thunderstorm as we as we have this conversation this evening. Um, I, I just want to remind listeners that if you'd like to learn more uh, about uh, David's work and just about the school in general, actually, the, the school, again, is the British International School in Jakarta. And if you'd like to visit their website, it's bsj.sch.id. Let me give that to you in NATO phonetic alphabet in case it doesn't come across clearly on here. So uh, that's Bravo Sierra Juliet dot Sierra Charlie Hotel dot India Delta bsj.sch.id. And um, David, I'm sure if they want to be in contact, they can find your contact information there. Is that is that accurate? Sure, absolutely. Um, principal at bsj.sch.id. Please, if anybody wants to send me um, an email, uh, happy to to connect and, and, and share more of what we're doing at the school. All right. Fabulous. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode of Indistinct Chatter. The guest has been David Butcher, Director of the British School of Jakarta, BSJ. And I look forward to having you tune in next time. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kevin. Always a pleasure.